Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Kraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening, reflecting into the richness of our faith, in particular, our early church history, that avails us the opportunity to engage uh, those fathers who give us so many pearls of wisdom. And as I do each and every Tuesday, I bring in John O'Hare, who is a retired teacher and parishioner over at St. John the Baptist Catholic Church in Chico. John, it is great to have you with me another night. Thank you again, Joe. You know, John, I wanted to give a a shout out to, you know, some listeners. If you go to my website, joholcraft.org, you can access this radio program by way of podcast and iTunes. And I have an index feed that allows me to see where people are listening to this radio program. And uh, it is humbling to see that there are people listening from Brazil, uh, Italy, Spain, um, and, and, and uh, the continent of Africa. It really blows me away that here we are in this uh, humble town of Chico, the friendly confines of Chico, <laughs> reflecting into the richness of our faith, and we have collectively the whole world listening. And so, by the grace of God, John, go you and I. So when I say wherever and however, I truly mean it, <laughs> you know. So this Tuesday, John, we have the opportunity to engage another wonderful figure in St. Clement of Alexandria. You know, we, we talked about what is history and why we should study history, and then we got into the evangelist John, and then uh, more collectively the apostles, and then we got into the apostolic father, St. Clement of Rome, Polycarp, St. Ignatius of Antioch, and then we are now in this post-apostolic father age, and we have, have arrived at a point where we are now studying figures from the late 2nd, early 3rd century. And so tonight we are taking up St. Clement of Alexandria, which is a figure who we know as as really the last apologist. But what I'd like to open up with, John, is the school of Alexandria itself. I mean, already by the mid to late 2nd century, we have this school that has developed that is just an epicenter for uh, catechetical instruction. And what's really interesting is we are at the height of Christian persecution. And yet at the height of Christian persecution, you might think that some of these schools would shrink and disappear. No, they were actually growing. In fact, as St. Clement of Alexandria speaks to and others, Eusebius will talk about in the future, they note that the more persecution that came the Christian way, (laughs) the larger some of these schools grew. And so you would see many pagans travel afar to listen to these great uh, teachers, these great speakers, these great preachers being moved deeply by the faith, by the revelation of Jesus Christ, and convert. So it would just grow and grow and grow. And what we see is, and we've talked about it to some extent already, but when people are dying for the Christian faith, people look at that and begin to think more critically about their own faith. So even... Mm -hmm those pagans out there. They see someone give their whole life uh, for this person, Jesus Christ, and we just, we can't get our head around it. So we start to think differently, more critically. And so, yeah, some of these pagans would travel afar, in particular to this this school of Alexandria. And this is a school that uh, 
some called a theological school, but in reality, it is a catechetical school. It is really where people were formed in the doctrine of Jesus Christ and the sacred scriptures. Now, we use the phrase sacred scripture, John, but as you and I have talked about already on multiple occasions, we don't necessarily have the biblical text as we know it today, right? It's not until the end of the fourth century that we, that we have the canon of the New Testament. But there are these writings that are circulating, and certainly, John, the New Testament that we know today are those writings that these great teachers were using to teach. So as we talk about the School of An- uh, Alexandria, we don't necessarily talk about it as a school of theology as much as a, a school of catechesis, because it was about forming people in the doctrine of uh, Jesus Christ. As we mentioned before, Alexandria was the academic center of that world. And probably another big academic center was Tarsus, where St. Paul came from. Mm -hmm. Now, Athens certainly had its glory, but it it has waned. And our saint for today, St. Clement of Alexandria, was born in Athens. And uh, he was aware of Athens history, and he was looking for truth as have some of our previous mm-hmm. fathers been looking for truth. Uh, for example, um, Tertullian. Tertullian was not born Christian, mm-hmm. and neither was St. Clement of Alexandria. He uh, began looking for truth, and uh, he wandered around, and he came across a gentleman by the name of Pantaneus, who was the, shall we say, president principal of the catechetical school at Alexandria, mm-hmm. And it is to him that he wandered, and it is to him that he attached himself. And when Pataneus had to leave Alexandria because of the persecution of Septimus Severus, Ale- uh, Clement of Alexandria took over and was there for, oh, maybe 10 to 12 years, and he was succeeded by another luminary, our man from last week, Origen. Yes, that's right. So this was quite a school. And I might want to throw in, the best library of the ancient world was right there mm. in Alexandria. And one last little thing is, Alexandria was at the end of the delta of the Nile going in, so it was a seaport town, and there was lots of commerce, lots of people, lots of influences coming into Alexandria as opposed to downriver where Cairo was a little bit more isolated. Mm -hmm. We can begin to imagine the importance of such a catechetical school uh, when you have all these people coming and going. I mean, they have heard about these figures, Tertullian. They have heard about uh, Origen and Pantheneus, and, uh, you know, St. Clement, they've heard about these guys. And, you know, so they, they travel and, and they arrive there in Alexandria. And now they've been given the opportunity to study and to learn from them. Um, so access is very important. I mean, we've kind of lost that sense with social media today, John. But it really is important to get into the history and appreciate yes. some of the tenacity that was behind some of these travels, especially for these pagans who were traveling abroad because of what they were seeing as relates to um, the aforementioned Christian persecution um, and ultimately this need to look at their faith anew. Yes. So with St. Clement of Alexandria, what we have, John, is a kind of trilogy, you know, and the first work was called Protrepticus, okay, a word that in Latin means uh, exhortation. And it was just that. I mean, it was an exhortation uh, to those who are just beginning to set out on the path of faith. It focused on Jesus Christ as the path of truth. Therefore, those who set out on that path, 
they were encouraged by St. Clement to do so with this unbridled determination. Don't let anyone hold you back. Don't let anything get in your way. See Jesus Christ for who he is, the fullness of truth. And for those who give commentary to this first work, and they kind of ask the question, why were they drawn to uh, St. Clement of Alexandria? Well, many say his lucidity, his articulation, the way in which he made the faith beautiful and attractive, uh, most especially in this first work. So uh, this is a work that ultimately leads to his much larger work, um, the pedagogus, a word that means a teacher or, or tutor. Uh, this is really his great work, the work that, you know, when you study St. Clement of Alexandria, you go to this second work. Correct, yes. And he also had a third, which you'll mention, which is the stromata, which kind of means a tapestry where you weave these things together. And Now, yeah, the first work, Protrepticos, uh, more philosophical, and he seems to be praising people for going from polytheism more into Christianity, but he's also critical of some of these philosophers who are becoming uh, atheists. You know, we don't want to do that. And he kind of says Christianity is in the middle of, we use that term loosely. Sure, It's not sure. polytheistic, it's not atheistic, we have a God. Mm-hmm. And he's quite certain that, you know, he explains the, about the logos as origin really hung on to the word logos. Logos is a big word in Greek. Mm-hmm. And logos, we usually think of it means the word word. But it also means reason. You know, it's, it's a huge word, and it has multiple meanings depending upon how you're using it. And, uh, but he was trying to get across that uh, we have a logos, and this is your truth. As I mentioned before, when he began in Athens, he was looking for truth. Mm-hmm. And so here, the logos is your, is your truth. Yeah, that's right. And it's to remember, as we talk about logos being the word of God, reason, the Logos was incarnate. The Word became flesh. And John wants to communicate this, and this is John the Evangelist, the Gospel of John, right? In his opening chapter, he opens up with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So he's talking yeah. about Jesus Christ. Yes, we focus it on reason, but he wants us to see how it opens us up to look at another huge principle, that which is faith. So what lies at the heart of the second work, this pedagogus, is something, John, that focuses in on the importance of relationship. Uh, okay, so reason draws us to increase in our, our knowledge about truth itself, and that truth itself ultimately is a person. And what's striking about the word itself, pedagogus, is that it really uh, speaks to that which is a relationship. You know, we have talked about on a number of occasions on this program, John, about divine sonship. Really, this is what he's after. Uh, there is a passage I wanted to go to to really get at what I'm saying right now, and it's, I believe it's Hebrews 12, 7. If you have your Bibles out there, and if not, just follow along. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, this is what the author says. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Okay, now the Greek word for discipline is Padilla, okay? Padilla wow. is to inform, to instruct. The root to that is pais. It is infant. It literally translates as infant. You know, last Sunday we heard in the Gospel, John, that God reveals himself to those who are of the simple mind. The Greek rendering of that is literally the inarticulate, the one who cannot speak. And the image is an infant. 
And the idea is we learn the language of truth. We learn the language of the Father based upon our infantile relationship with the Father. So what a St. Clement of Alexandria is after and what he wants us to understand is that any good catechesis and any good catechumenate, if they're going to get it, they need to understand this larger dynamic of divine sonship, one that is rooted in this kind of infantile relationship. This was very important for St. Clement of Alexandria. This is why, John, he talks about these topics. It's, it's so striking. He takes up topics like uh, laughter, filthy language, dress and clothing. I mean, all of these very uh, almost paternal topics, you know, we don't often talk about these terms within the context of catechesis or theology, John. These are things that are discussed inside the home. What St. Clement of Alexandria wants us to see is all of these things point to faith, and we're only going to get it if we are first rooted in this divine sonship. One of the commentators I read about him said he was the Emily Post of early Christians. Uh, he can't, this is his Manners book. Yeah. And yet all of these things he writes on, because if you have right action, you are going to start going into correct worship. That's right. And uh, I think he kind of went from, um, remember, he was an apologist more than a theologian, whereas our uh, origin who followed him was a, was a theologian. And I think he was trying to go from faith to knowledge. And once you could get that faith into knowledge, now you were beginning to become a Christian. And after that, you went into prayerful holiness. Okay, now we're t- starting to talk about beginning a saint. Mm-hmm. And then he went into some pretty heavy spiritual stuff, such as you know, contemplation and things like that. Yeah. Very good. But he goes from faith, okay, we develop that into knowledge. Why do we believe this? Mm-hmm. And then from there into prayer. Because yeah. now we have to have a personal relationship with this Logos. Yeah. Yeah, it brings us back to uh, just that wonderful paradigm of, of the Christian faith, John. In God, for other. New identity, new goal. Come to know him to make him known. Coming to better understand the gift so as to better understand the task. This is what it's about. One forms and informs the other. You know, the acting and thinking, the prayer, it all feeds uh, upon itself so that it might bring about a more vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Last week when we studied Origen, here, when he was at the catechetical school, uh, you know, uh, martyrs were the seedbed of the church. Origen, I think we mentioned this last week, some of these students were going out to be martyred, and Origen would come and console them, maybe walk with them a little bit. This is what this, this is some of the graduates of the students were, were, were getting into. I mean, this is, this is, remember, this is a catechetical school. It's an RCIA program. Yes, that's right. And wow. That's right. Yeah, I mean, you put it well before we were on air. I mean, it's an RCA manual in many yeah. ways. Yeah, and it goes back to the central principle of the School of Alexandria, which was to <laughs> take that soul and draw them deeper into relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we used the word last week and, and the week before that, this pastoral care, and how important is that to appreciate that these men were first priests whose first concern was the pastoral care of their souls. Yes. You know, and, and this is what embodies Pope Francis. I mean, so many have talked about it. I mean, this, this deeper sense of taking these souls by the hand and drawing them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, so important. I wanted to read an excerpt, John, um, as it relates to something St. Clement of Alexandria had to say 
on the heels of, of him talking about uh, the importance of all of these practical matters. And uh, he says this, that wherefore the wearing of gold and the use of softer clothing is not to be entirely prohibited, but irrational impulses must be curbed, lest carrying us away through excessive relaxation, they impel us to voluptuousness. Say that five times fast. Yes. <laughs> For luxury is prone to kick up its heels and toss its mane and shake off the charioteer who is our teacher, Christ, who pulling back the reins from afar leads and, dry, and, and leads and drives, excuse me, to salvation the human horse. That is the irrational part of the soul, which is wildly bent on pleasures and vicious appetites and precious stones and gold and variety of dress and other luxuries. Above all, we are to keep in mind what was spoken sacredly from 1 Peter 2, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by the good works which they behold, glorify God. So what is he saying here? He's talking about if we get caught up in all of this materialism, all of this consumerism, what we begin to do is to kick away Christ, our teacher. It's amazing how little human beings have changed over the millennium. I (laughs) mean, the problems you come across in Homer are the same problems we have here. Yes. And how many of us today, Christians, Catholics, get caught up in the world, get caught up in, uh, you know, things which aren't necessarily quite opposed to Catholicism or Christianity, but if you get into them, they will. Yeah, that's right. And they're right there in front of you. That's right. And they're tempting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right, John. I mean, when you think about it, and we've made this point from one week to the next, why do we study the church fathers? Because they have something to teach us for our lives today. Because what hasn't changed is the nature of truth, because the nature of truth isn't subject to time. That's correct. Right? And 1,800 years later, here we are, talking about the same things they talked about then. Why? Because there's this tension inside of us to love and to sin. And it's going to be constant. So if we are not doing what the likes of St. Clement of Alexandria is telling us to do and so many and so many others, and that is pray and live for Jesus Christ, then we are going to get caught up in all of the ostentatious, showy display of the world around us. Yeah. So he's saying, root yourself in Jesus Christ and you will be uh, well off. And amen to that. A little thing from the Pythagoras, this is a little bit changing, but he was quite well aware of the real presence of Christ in the blood and the wine. Mm-hmm. Here's a, just a sentence from him. The blood of the Lord indeed is twofold. There is his corporal blood by which we are redeemed from corruption, and his spiritual blood, that with which we are anointed, that is to say, to drink the blood of Jesus, to share his immortality. I mean, that is almost right out of the catechism of the Catholic Church for today. Yeah, And, and, and this was way back. I remember he was uh, 150 to about 220. So, uh, and this was the practice of the time. Yeah. I mean, if you were to go back into um, Paul's letters to Corinth, he's saying the same yeah. thing. Yeah. And you can really see the influence of, of, of the sacred writings, the, the texts that were circulating that we do know now today as, as the New Testament. Yeah. To share in his immortality, to share in the cup of Christ. This is some of the language that we have already talked about. We, we, we really can begin to appreciate the symmetry 
of these apostolic fathers. We saw this in Polycarp of Smyrna. We saw this with St. Ignatius of Antioch. Widely important for, yes, the emphasis uh, on the Eucharist as that sacrament of the New Testament, but also um, to be mindful of that, that constant, which is apostolic continuity. Um, so I wanted to get into maybe a little bit here, John, on this last work, the Stromata, um, which literally is translated as tapestries or carpets, okay? Uh-huh. Um, and this really, as you mentioned earlier, it's a composition of different topics that was customary to his teaching. Now, this is not a work that if you were to go to was some systematic rendering of some teaching of the faith, whether it be the Eucharist or the Trinity or whatever. It was more of his reflections, um, but it was still very important because what we gain from such a work is insight into what was going on then. And as we were just talking about, what was going on then is what is going on today. And so this is why a work like that, and more collectively his trilogy, is so important because we can glean truths that are relevant uh, for our faith journey today. Now, we haven't mentioned the heresy Gnosticism, and once again, we are in the late 2nd century, early 3rd century, so... (laughs) That heresy of Gnosticism is flexing its muscles, John, and like others uh, that we have talked about, St. Clement of Rome was one a defender. He was an apologist against that heresy, and we've already touched upon it earlier, but if there was a way to summarize the way in which he approached this, how to defend this, maybe we can put it this way, that um, he was tr- after an authentic gnosis, right? Gnosticism, you know, in its, in its base Greek, gnosis means a knowledge, okay? And we've talked about Gnosticism before, this kind of secret knowledge. So it's St. Clement of Rome that uses faith and reason, that which we call in the Catholic Church really the cross beams and girders to the intellectual tradition uh, to show us that we can come to discover a more authentic knowledge that is rooted in uh, the person of Jesus Christ. And Pope uh, Benedict XVI put it this way. He says, true gnosis is a development of faith that is inspired by Jesus Christ in the soul and united with him out from that. This unitive, if you will, inspiration leads to a transforming love as you are now united to love. We can then say, John, that ultimately knowledge leads to the greatest of all virtues, which is love. This, again, is what lies at the heart of the vision of St. Clement of Rome. Yes, St. Clement of uh, Alexandria, yes. (laughs) St. Clement of Alexandria. This unitive component, this bridal union with Christ that ultimately opens us up to want to know more about Jesus Christ. St. Thomas Aquinas talked about this a great deal in his Summa. We study Jesus Christ to increase the knowledge about Jesus Christ. And in doing so, that thirst only grows and is never satisfied. As Thomas Aquinas once said, the more I come to know, the more I realize how little I know. Now, Tertullian was a, a good philosopher too. Um, and he began to realize that philosophy was only going to get you so far. I mean, philosophers today, I mean, they may be very good at logic, but they all have as many different beliefs as there are philosophers. And he, uh, St. Clement of Alexandria, was, I guess he was aware of this because he had his, well, he had philosophical training for sure. He kept it 
in conjunction with Scripture and with the faith mm-hmm. and didn't go off. He had, you know, his anchor or his home base was Christ, the Logos, the Scripture, as you've mentioned, and it was from there that he developed his thinking. Yeah, and it would be important to note for our listening audience, John, when we talk about faith, when we talk about premium, what are we talking about here? Well, the word faith, uh, it comes from a, a Hebrew word, emunah, in the Old Testament. I don't know if I've made this point before on our Tuesday night, but emunah in the Hebrew, it's not translated faith, it's translated faithfulness, right? So in fact, you, re- you rarely see in the Old Testament the word faith, but you see faithfulness. Why? Why? Because at its root, the emunah is firm response. What are you responding to? Some, you know, abstract thing out there that we can't touch? Some immaterial? No. The God who is love. So faith is about, yes, believing in uh, someone you don't see, but because that someone is the person of Jesus Christ and, and the triune God, ultimately, you respond out of love. And so faith then opens us up to this whole discussion of prayer because Ultimately, faith ceases to be faith if there's zero response. I mean, what does the word obedience itself mean? Obadire, to listen. Yeah. This is why in Romans 1, 5 and 16, 26, Paul, who's, you know, got the whole Old Testament on his fingertips, translates that Old Testament vision of faithfulness as obedience of faith. Or in the Greek, the best translation would be the obedience that is faith. What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about that firm response to God. He's talking about listening to God and responding to God. Out from what? Well, a relationship with God. I mean, prayer is conversation with God. And when we go deeper into this prayer, into this conversation, our faith is enlivened, and in turn, it leads to what we talked about earlier, this this, uh, new goal, this for other, this making him more known. And so it's important to appreciate the way in which faith and prayer are interconnected once you put it in the context of a conversation with God, relationship with God. And this brings us directly to the heart of what St. Clement of Alexandria (laughs) is all about. Because why? An infantile relationship with God is one that Paul talks about in Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of uh, slavery in which you fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption, John, in which you cry what? Abba, Father, Papa, Daddy, this most intimate term. You know, I have four children, you know, eight, uh, seven, three, and five months. I'm going to get this right. (laughs) Okay. And already I see in the older ones a little bit of uh, this language now that they're ready to move on from from papa and from daddy it's 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 now it's dad okay see this is what begins to happen when you grow but what god wants from us is this this infantile relationship and yeah so certainly when you talk about faith and you apply it as a supernatural principle it begins to open us up to a more authentic knowledge of jesus christ That's a wrap, John. Great program. And look forward to having you in two weeks. I know you're gone next week. Let us close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth. Heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.